0: last time I preached a couple weeks ago, we saw that that Jesus, He had performed this great miracle of feeding some 20-some thousand people, 5,000 men plus all those who had come from their families. And in that miracle, there was just an amazing, I guess, pouring out of the Spirit of God and and so, what happened is, is, then Jesus told His disciples that they should get in a, in a boat and go across the Sea of Galilee, and of course, we remember the story, Jesus then walks on the water, another amazing miracle. And then, He calls or commands, Peter, you walk on water, Peter does that, it's another amazing miracle. And then all of a sudden, it says in verse 21 of John chapter 6, when Jesus got into the boat with Peter, boom, they're in Capernaum, another miracle. And so here you have all these miracles take place, and now Jesus and His disciples are in Capernaum, but they're only going to be alone for a moment because what happened in that feeding of the thousands of people, word got out. When you feed 20,000 people by a miracle, trust me, word gets out. And so the next morning, you have this kind of this entourage that's going to show up. They, They want to show up because they want something from Jesus. I want to tell you, sometimes people will come to church, but they won't be a real disciple. They'll be a false disciple. Because they're not seeking Jesus Christ. What they're seeking is what they can get from God. The word "disciple" in the Greek is the word "methetes," and it means a student or a learner. Now, there are real disciples in every generation, those who come face-to-face with Jesus, repent of their sin, and they're born again, they're changed, they're transformed. But also, in every church and in every religious setting, there are those that, that look like the real deal, but they're false. They're not real disciples. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this in Mark chapter 13, verse 13. He says, "'You will be hated by all because of My name.'" but the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. There will be people who will not endure to the end. There will be people that will show up for a while and then depart the faith. As a matter of fact, Paul warns of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. This is what Paul says. He says, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test. So, as we go through this message, we're going to see the qualities of a real disciple contrasted with the qualities of a false disciple. And I'd like to ask you this morning to test yourself. Do you see Jesus Christ in you? Let's read the text, verses 22 through 27. It says, "...the next day the crowd that stood on the side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with His disciples into the boat, but that His disciples had gone away alone. Now, there came other small boats from Tiberias, near to the place where they had ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So, when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor His disciples, they themselves got into the small boats, and they came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found Him on the other side of the sea, they said to Him, Rabbi, When did you get here? And Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. Now, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, the Father, God, has set His seal. So, what's the difference between a real and a false disciple? First thing we see this morning is a false disciple seeks after earthly things, but a real disciple seeks after godly things. False disciples seek after earthly things, real disciples seek after godly things. Now see, some people come into the, to the Christian life because they're seeking God. They have a, a desire and then you, you may say that they're drawn to Him. But others come for entertainment, for the stuff, because their friends have shown up, any number of reasons. You have this group here that are seeking Jesus. And in verses 22 through 25, they go back to where Jesus had been before, where He performed that miracle. And when they show up, He's not there. So they get into a bunch of boats, and they go across the Sea of Galilee. Look at verses 24 and 25 again. It says, when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor His disciples, they themselves got into the small boats, and they came into the Capernaum seeking Jesus, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So they come to Capernaum seeking Jesus, but they're really not, I think, so much seeking Jesus. They want to get something from Jesus. And so there are a number of reasons why people begin to come to church. For some people, it is kind of like the latest show the latest Christian band that's out there, the latest Christian thing that's happening, kind of the the winds of doctrine that flow through the church and people will show up for the latest and greatest. Some people are just following the crowd. Hey, the friends and family show, and so they come along too. By the way, if you're brought here, we love it that you're here. And we want you here. But just because somebody comes to a church, it doesn't make them a real disciple of Jesus Christ. These people show up not because they want to come to Jesus to worship Him. They're coming because they want something from Him. They're coming because they're seeking physical benefits. Many in the crowd, they come to see Jesus because they remember the night before. And you remember that the night before, Jesus does this amazing miracle of feeding some 15, 20 plus thousand people. And they're coming because basically it's late brunch time. They're seeking breakfast, and they're thinking, wow, he did it then, maybe he'll do it again. So they show up for bread. They want food. On their minds is not on so much something spiritual, really, it's on their stomachs. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never really prayed for food, to have it, because I'm starving. I never have. Honestly, I got up this morning, I opened my fridge, and there were eggs, and there was bread, and there was milk, and there was fruit in the bin, and... I even had coffee, (laughs) it was coffee, (laughs) love that stuff. But I've never earnestly prayed, oh God, I need bread, even though Jesus commands that, doesn't He? But guys, food in this day and age was a big deal. And sometimes people could go for days, perhaps even a week without food. And so to have somebody that can create bread out of nowhere, and not only just feed them, but feed them to the full. Now, think about it. Jesus had a reputation as a miracle worker. He, he, he helped people who were sick. He, he cast out demons. But guys, now you get a meal. Now you get to watch the show and you get fed. Wow, it's better than a movie. And so they show up because they want something. It's not the heart of a true disciple. And so what, how does Jesus respond to them? He rebukes them. Look at verse 26 and 27. Jesus answers and said to them, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and you were filled. Now, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him, the Father, God, has set His seal.'" One of the commentators I read, his name is Leon Morris, he said, "...this event laid bare their selfish materialistic hearts, so blinded were they by their superficial desire for food that they missed the true spiritual significance of Jesus' person and His mission. They were not moved by full hearts, they were moved by full stomachs." I think he's right. Real disciples have a desire to know Christ. They have a desire. They they come because they know that there's something about God. There's there's something about Christ, and they want to grow in Him. They want to know Him. It's something personal. They don't necessarily want to know Jesus relationally. They want to get something from Him. And Jesus is saying, instead of working for the food that perishes, pursue pursue the food that endures to eternal life. He's, He's beginning to point them. He's using these pictures, these, these illustrative pictures to draw them so that he'll, he'll capture their attention to kind of wake them up from, from this reality that all they want is the physical thing. Because Jesus is what furnishes the need for what we really have. You and I and everyone here, we have a great hunger, a great need for spiritual things. But what's happened is many of us have, have grown dull to the things of God. God. Their need is temporary. And Jesus is trying to point them to the eternal, to the spiritual. But their minds, it's so focused, it's focused on the physical things of this earth. The same thing happened to Adam and Eve, didn't it? They had the blessing of having communion and relationship with the living God, and suddenly they're before a tree, and the fruit, it looks so good to eat. They want the physical thing, and they're hoping that there's benefits that go with it. And that's exactly what's happening here And there's a danger sometimes when our focus gets just on the physical things, because sometimes those physical things become the main thing, and we can actually start worshiping the things of this earth, the created thing, instead of worshiping our God and Jesus Christ. This is a warning for each of us here. Is your heart sold out for Christ? Are you a real disciple that wants Him? Or something else come in and replaced him, something of this earth. Jesus says in verse 27, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures for eternal life. That eternal life food is him. He is the living bread. It's having a a living relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. Do you trust him this morning? True disciples, they, they desire that spiritual food the things of God. In fact, as a true disciple, we'll seek it first. Jesus had this talk with His disciples earlier in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and He'll add all these things to you. Do you see that? He's saying, have your priorities straight here. As a disciple of mine, seek the things of my Father, seek the things of God first, and I'll give you all these other things. And we see that's the heart of God. The day before, it says that Jesus had compassion on them because they were hungry. God knows their need. He knows your need. And He cared for them. He fed them. In fact, it's to the full. But here they are again, but they're not seeking Him. That event was to drive them to Christ. It was to help them to see their need of a living Savior. But instead, they're thinking only of their stomachs, what they can get from Him. God's kingdom and His righteousness is only found in Jesus Christ. He is the key. In verse 27, it says, On Him, meaning Himself, Jesus, God the Father has set His seal. If you understand what a seal is, a seal in that day was like a a wax stamp that would be placed on a document, and when that was on there, it, it proved that it was not a forgery. The way that you will know Christ, the way that you will know God is only through the Son, Jesus Christ. Do you have Him this morning? He is the seal of God. And without Him, you're a false disciple. You know, this past July, Bono, the lead singer of U2, he was interviewed by Focus on the Family, their president, Jim Daly, and they exchanged some thoughts and questions about music about AIDS, but also about Jesus. Now, I don't know if Bono is a true believer in Christ, but the way he talked and the way that things that he said, it sounds like he may be. But what he said was very interesting and also true. He said this, he said, when people say Jesus was a good teacher, a prophet, a really nice guy, that's not how Jesus thought of himself. Bono said, so you're left with a challenge in which either Jesus was who he said he was or he was else a complete utter nutcase. Later in the interview, he said, it's very annoying following this person of Christ around because he's very demanding on your life. He said, kind of laughing, he says, you you don't have to go to university or to have a PhD to understand this stuff. He says, you just have to go to the person of Christ. Isn't that the question? Have you come to the person of Christ? Do you have Him? Because in Him, in Him... You'll find the food for your soul. False disciples seek after earthly things, but real disciples seek after godly things. There's a second thing we see. False disciples desire personal fulfillment, but real disciples find fulfillment in Christ. False disciples desire personal fulfillment, but real disciples find fulfillment in Christ a lot of people come to God because they want material blessings, the things that God can give them. But Christ right here, He's calling the people to come to Him, to come to Him. Look at verses 28 through 40, therefore they said to Him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him who He has sent. So they said to Him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe believe you, what works do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you bread out of heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I certainly will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of Him who sent me, that all, but of all that He has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Right in verse 28, it says, Therefore they said to Him, What shall we do that we may do the works of God? So in in Jesus' command in verse 27, they're responding here to his command that they should seek the spiritual food, that they should begin to seek him. But the people, their mind is only on the physical, and so so they're kind of struggling here, and so they come to Jesus, and they completely miss the point. He said that he will give it, but instead they focus on that word work, and they're thinking, okay, what do I got to do? What do I got to do to get this bread? I think these false disciples are thinking that maybe Jesus will give them the power so that they can perform a miracle. They're coming to Jesus so that really they can command God to get stuff. You ever met somebody like that? Have enough faith and you can command God and He's got to give you whatever you do? These people are coming because they they think that maybe somehow Jesus, what do we got to do, Jesus? They're coming so that they themselves, in verse 28, what shall we do so that we may do the works of God? Now, one commentator said, false disciples are drawn by superficial things for personal fulfillment and will go to the point where they will make demands on God. And I think that's what they're doing here. I think they're coming, they're not coming to know Jesus, they're coming so that they can get food. And then as they're talking to him, they're saying, well, okay, well, well you give us the power now and then we're going to basically command God so we can get this food. False disciples, they want to make demands on God but it's for personal fulfillment. A real disciple, we want our will to line up with God's will. Our desire is not to go outside of God's will and make demands that he has to own up to us. A real disciple, we want to follow whatever his will is. Our desire is to follow him. But that's not them. Matter of fact, commentator John MacArthur in his commentary, I think he's right on this one. I want to read you what he said. He says, I don't think they're asking how they might have eternal life. I think they're asking Jesus how they can get the same power that he has. They're saying, We want the power that you've got. I think that's what they're doing. What do we have to do to get that power, Jesus? Because we want to command God that whenever we want bread, he'll just make it for us. We want God to do what we want we don't want to come to Him to find out what His will is for us. They want miracle power. They want the power to create their own bread. And this reminds me in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8 of Simon, the sorcerer. Many of you know the story. Simon was a man who performed magic. And many people saw him do this magic. and, And when they saw it, in that day and age, they thought that he was a man from God because he was doing miraculous things. But at that time, Philip had left Jerusalem, had gone down to Samaria and, and he started to, to perform miracles and, and preach and, and Simon sees that. And in Acts chapter 8 verse 9 says, there was a man named Simon who was formerly practicing magic in the city, astonishing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. And then he sees Philip perform these miracles and people are coming to Christ and, and suddenly he's amazed and when he saw that, he comes to Philip because he's interested not so much in knowing Christ, but he wants the power. And verse 13 says, even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and as he observed the signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Can I tell you something? Sometimes false disciples can even be baptized. And I think clearly that Simon is this false disciple. And we know this because later on, Peter and John, they show up. And they start laying hands on the people, and and they receive the Holy Spirit. I think they'll probably begin to speak in tongues, which is what happened right there in the first century. And Simon sees this, and what does he do? He offers them money. He tries to buy the power of God for self-gain, self-fulfillment. Acts chapter 8, verse 18, when Simon saw the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of hands of the apostles, he offered them money. And how I know he's a false disciple is because of the way Peter reacts to him. Listen to Peter's words in Acts chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. Peter says, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right with God. The person who's a real disciple, the person who's a true disciple, the person who's born again, their heart is right with God through Christ. The person who knows Christ won't perish with their money. They will have eternal life. Simon was a false disciple, and these people that are coming to Jesus, they're false disciples. They want to follow Him as long as they can get stuff. But in verse 29, Jesus says, "This is the work of God, that you believe in Him who He sent." He just cuts through the muck, he goes right to the heart. He says, "This. This right here is the work that you believe, that you trust. You trust in me, the one who he sent. I'm it." I mean, Jesus takes this from every angle to get the people to understand. He's hitting them with these spiritual pictures so he wakes them up and then he brings them back to the truth every time. Jesus is saying the only work required here is faith. You must believe in whom God has sent. And the only miracle that they're going to see Is the miracle of salvation, regeneration, transformation. When a person goes from death to life, if they will believe, they'll see that miracle. But the people, they don't understand. They still want the bread. They want the stuff. And in verses 30 and 31, they say to him, yeah, well, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? You know, our fathers, they ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven. Do you see that kind of shift there? They're saying, okay, you're saying this, well, we'll do another miracle for us so you'll prove that you can actually do these things. Oh, and by the way, our fathers ate manna every day. Do that miracle is what they're saying. Okay, so you won't give us the power, well, you give us bread every day. Then we'll believe is really what they're saying here. Jesus knows people's hearts. He understands those that are coming to Him because of Him versus those that are just coming to Him for the stuff. And they also have a kind of a a misunderstanding of what really happened to the Israelites when they left Egypt. He, He reads, if you will, their minds because they're thinking that it was Moses that gave them the bread, the manna. But Jesus gives them a history lesson in verses 32 and 33. He says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you bread out of heaven, but it is my Father, listen, who gives you true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God, that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus says, hey, Moses didn't provide you anything. It was my Father in heaven. And by the way, my Father now has provided true bread. He's saying, I am that bread. I provide life. By the way, that word life, it's it's not bios, which is biological bread, bios life. It's zoe, When you see Zoe, that means eternal, eternal life. Neat little Greek right there. He says, this is eternal life. This is spiritual life. This is everlasting life. Come to me. I am that bread. But they can't understand. And they respond, okay, Lord, always give us this bread. Again, thinking physical bread. Okay, Jesus, you won't give us the power to feed ourselves. Give us the bread all the time like our fathers have, like manna. They don't want Christ. They don't want to know him. A a real disciple's desires to grow in their understanding, in their relationship with Christ. A, A false disciple always wants something of this life, something of this world, something materialistic. So Jesus responds in verse 35, just plain, clear as day. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, for he who believes in me will never thirst. And I think he's doing exactly that. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me, me, will not hunger, and you will not thirst. There is a hunger, a thirst in the soul that only Christ can, can fill. If you come here this morning and, and you felt that some reason you're here, you've been drawn here, it is Christ you need. I think he's pleading with them. Do you not understand? It's me. I am the bread. I give life. And right in that statement, he kind of combine, combines belief, bread, eternal life, and himself all there. Now, this is the first of seven I am statements. these are statements that point to Jesus as God. Jesus right here in John chapter 6 says, I am the bread. Again, He says in John chapter 8 verse 12 that I am the light of the world. In John chapter 10 verse 7 and 9, He says, I am the door of the sheep gate. He says, I am the good shepherd In John chapter 10, verse 11 and 14, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. In John chapter 14, verse 6, and he says, I am the true vine. In John chapter 15, verse 5. Those words, I am, in the Greek, it's egoemi. Now, that's the Greek translation from the Hebrew and if you remember, when Moses was commanded by God to go speak to the Israelites and lead them out of Egypt, Moses' response to the Father is, "Well, well what am I going to tell him? Who am I going to say that sent me?" And God says this in Exodus three, verse fourteen. He says to Moses, "I am who I am." This you shall say to the sons of Israel: "I am has sent you." Ego eimi is that in the Greek. Jesus is saying, "I am. I am the bread." I am He. I am God. Come to me. Now, not only that, now we know this is what He's doing because in John chapter 8, verse 58, He's speaking to religious leaders again. And I want you to listen very carefully. He says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, go. me. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, what's their response? They try to stone Him to death. Why? He said, He's God. He's telling them again right here, I am me, I am God, I am the bread, I am the one you need for spiritual nourishment, come to me. He wants them to understand, but the problem with these people, these false disciples, is that they're hard-hearted. They're not open to the things of God. They don't really want the things of God. They want only the things of this life. So if you look at verses 36 through 40, it says, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and the one that comes to me I certainly will not cast out for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that all that he has given me I lose nothing but I raise it up on the last day for this is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have present tense eternal life, and I myself, will raise them up on the last day. Now, faith in Christ is evidence that you're a true disciple. Trust in Him. These people claim that they need a miraculous sign, but Jesus understands that they're not from His Father. What you see right here is both the sovereign work of God in salvation, and we're going to see in just a minute man's responsibility within the work of salvation. But first... Jesus begins to point to the sovereign work of God. The person who responds to Christ is known by the Father, and he is pursued by the Father, and he is drawn by the Father to the Son, and they will receive the Son. It is a work of God. God gets all the work, all the credit. Salvation is by the sovereign plan and purposes of God. And and Jesus, He starts right there. So if you look at verse 37, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And he says in verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I will lose nothing. But Jesus recognizes they have no interest in him. They're not coming to him for him. They're coming to him for bread. Now sometimes, and I love this about the gospel and the truth and and the way God works. Sometimes he'll take that need and he'll draw you to Christ and then whammo, God uses that need to draw you. But that's not the case in this one. They don't want that. They have no interest in the things of God. But then Jesus shifts and he starts talking about their responsibility. Look at verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son or sees the Son believes in him and they will have eternal life, and I myself will raise them on the last day. When you recognize who Christ is, you must respond in faith. It's offered freely, but you must respond, and true disciples will respond. They'll respond in belief and faith and trust. Jesus, before His final prayer, I mean, before He went to the cross and in his last prayer, he says in John 17, 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Real disciples will be drawn, and they will come to Christ. False disciples will come for a while, and they'll leave. You know, I was reading this article, and Chuck Swindoll was talking about a friend of his that he was trying to reach for Christ. And he said, many years ago, I cultivated a close friendship with a brilliant medical doctor. He had earned more than one PhD, and he had spent many years in training, including an internship in the Mayo Clinic. And to say that he was smart would be a gross misunderstanding. For a long time, we enjoyed talking about life and about work and about family. He says, I was was waiting for an opportunity to, to share the most important part of who I was. And he says, and then one day it came. He said, he asked me where I stood on this or that, and all of a sudden, we started talking about the gospel. And he says, so I took out a napkin, and he said, I laid it on the table. And he said, on one side, I I drew the the, the name man, and then I I drew a gap, and I put God, and in the middle, I wrote sin, and then I I drew a, a bridge in the form of a cross across that gap, and then I explained that it is through the cross of Christ, his death, on the cross that he paid for your sin. He said, it was one of the best times I've ever shared the gospel. And he said, that man took the napkin, he turned it over, and he said, not in a million years will I ever believe that. Some people hear the truth and they just walk away. The confusing part, isn't it, if we're honest, are for those that come and it seems like they, they're here. It seems like they're interested in the things of Christ. And then, then one day they just seem to give up and and they disappear. They were a false disciple. They showed up to get something, and when God doesn't give them what they want, they get frustrated, and they run. Are you frustrated with God this morning? Are you angry? Are you expecting something more than His Son? Because He's given you everything in Christ. Come to Christ. He is the living bread. He's the one who's come down from heaven. Two things we've seen. False disciples desire personal fulfillment, but real disciples find fulfillment in Christ. False disciples seek earthly things, but real disciples seek godly things. And the final one, false disciples grumble about the faith, but real disciples honor the faith. False disciples, they grumble about the faith. A real disciple, they'll honor the faith. A real disciple, they they want to honor God. They want to honor Him both with their words, but also their life. A false disciple may say the right things, but oftentimes you can see their life, and it does not honor Christ. Look at verses 41 through 51. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they were saying, 'Is is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how does, he not, how does he now say that I have come down out of heaven? And Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not, in, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has, present tense, everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for life of the world is my flesh. So he says, therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him. As soon as these Jews realize that they're not going to get breakfast, as soon as they realize that he's not going to give them the power, as soon as they realize they're not going to get really what they came for, they start complaining. That word grumbling, by the way, is gangaizo, and it means to be discontent. It means to complain. They start complaining to Jesus. Hey, man, we came here for a meal. Now you're telling us you're not even going to give us the power, but you're not even going to give us the meal. And so... Verse 42, they were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how does he now say, I came down out of heaven? They start getting really upset. They're saying, okay, so you're saying you're from heaven, right. Now, they understand, they know that he's from Nazareth. They understand that that's where he had lived as a child. And in verse 43, Jesus says to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up on the last day. I think what's happening here is kind of what God did with Pharaoh in the Old Testament. Do you guys remember when when Pharaoh hardened his heart? What did God do? He hardened it even more. He made it more difficult for him. I think Jesus is doing that with them right now. They hardened their hearts, and so Jesus begins to lay on more spiritual talk, and it's it's, it's hard for them. Well, I think he's doing that on purpose. They don't want him, and he knows it. But there's this verse here in verse 44. I love that verse. Matter of fact, I pray that verse all the time. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Why do I love that? Because salvation's not on me. I don't have to carry that one. God says that He does that work. He does the drawing of people to Christ. And guys, don't you pray like that? I do all the time. Father, please, draw my son draw him to yourself, break into his hard heart, Lord, mess up his life in some way, he's going to look to you, oh Lord, please, Lord, my sister, Libby, please, Lord, I'm asking you that you, you pull her towards you, please, Lord, draw her, break her heart, Lord, bring her to you, Lord, my neighbor, Lord, they need you, draw them, Lord, isn't that the way we often pray, just naturally, well, that's what that verse is saying, the Lord works; He's always working. He's working right now. He's always at work. Now He says here in verse forty-five, it's written in the prophets that they shall be taught of God, and everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to Me. What He's basically saying here: those who are open and teachable, they will be drawn by God to Jesus. Are you open and teachable this morning? Is your heart willingly saying, Lord, I want to know, I'm I'm hungry, I want to learn. When you're like that, he begins to work. And when a person is open and the Father begins to teach them, they learn and they're drawn, and when they're drawn, they come. And when they come to Jesus, he receives them. And when Jesus receives them, he keeps them. And when he keeps them, he's going to raise them on the last day. That's the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 29 through 31. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren, and these who He predestined, He also called. And those who He called, He also justified. And those who He justified, He'll glorify. What should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Are you open this morning? Are you teachable? Are you a learner? Do you want to know? Because if you are, He'll draw you to Christ. I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a few moments to come to Christ. Are you resistant to that? Is your heart hard to that? Or are you open? He is the living bread. Now, what Jesus does here, he he begins to close this down. He says, hey, only the one who has seen God has come from the Father. He sends me, right? He, He is the one who became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the one who can speak on these things of eternal life. And he says, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. He's saying, okay, when your fathers ate that bread that God gave them, it gave them physical life, but they died. He says, but the bread, me, the one that's come down out of heaven, if you partake, that's what he means by eat, same word could be used. If you partake of me, you'll have eternal life, everlasting life. And then he begins to to finish this off in verse 51, and he begins to talk about the cross. Look at verse 51. He says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, if anyone partakes of me, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world, it is my flesh. Where did Jesus give his flesh, his body? On the cross. If you will trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross, is his death for you, as it's personal. It's personal. You must partake yourself. Just because your parents believe does not mean that you're a true disciple. You must partake. He's calling them individually here to partake of him. He died on the cross for you, He died on the cross for me. Will you receive it? He's the bread. I came from heaven. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word of God. The truth is so clear here as Jesus speaks about himself as the true bread from heaven. Lord, I pray right now for all those that are here. I pray particularly for those, Lord, who've been doubting. I pray that today will settle the issue for them, that they will not only understand because of the work of your Spirit that you have drawn them to this point, but that they will respond, Lord, in trusting Jesus. May you do this work, Lord. May you save those who are yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I please have you stand?